Hello and welcome to the final Truth About Cars podcast of 2022. My name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor for the Truth About Cars. That's ttac.com, ttac.com, or you can also spell it out, thetruthaboutcars.com. I am here today with Robbie DeGraff from Auto Pacific. Robbie, what's your exact title? So yeah, I'm an industry analyst at Auto Pacific. Excellent. So Robbie's based in Milwaukee. I'm in Chicago. We are sitting here uh, late in the year watching snow fly, and we're going to talk a little bit about the new Toyota Prius, the new Kia EV6 GT, and just a couple minutes at the end on the best and worst cars that Robbie and I have driven this year. Uh, So we're going to kind of get started here with the Prius. So for those who don't know, every automotive journalist we don't get to drive every car right away or at the same time. And then there are, there are launch program events and sometimes we get to go on them. Sometimes we're not invited or we can't go to scheduling conflicts, whatever. In this particular case, Robbie went to the Prius drive. I did not. And I'm very curious about the car because it is just obviously a very huge car for the industry and the biggest redo for the Prius in a very long time. I'd like to hear Robbie's thoughts. So Robbie, take it away. Yeah, thanks again for uh, having me back on the show. It's always good to chat with you, Tim. So Prius is a pretty big, uh, I think the word people are using this year is a glow up. Um, I actually back in August had a 2022 Prius, so the current fourth generation car that's still on sale right now. And while it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a terrible car by any means, it really was lethargic to drive, not very inspiring or fun behind the wheel. And, uh, you know, it's still, the current Prius still kind of has that, I don't know if you want to call it dorky or obscure, but it has that not very like desirable styling that people want. And yeah, I was out in Del Mar earlier this month and got to drive the new fifth generation Prius, which is a completely redesigned product in pretty much every way imaginable. And it was really 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 impressive it's it's a blast to drive now actually and it's <laughs> it sounds kind of funny saying a priest is fun to drive but truthfully it is there's a lot more power um there's more torque handling is a little bit nicer so i mean it's it's actually you're no longer penalized by you know going for a hybrid and getting something that is gonna just soar at the in fuel economy and you're not gonna have to really worry about it driving like crap Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's kind of funny you, you ended on that note. So I've told the story, I think, on the podcast before, but we have a running joke in the industry called, uh, or at least myself and a few other journalists who called, it's always an effing Prius. <laughs> what, we, what that means is when we're driving somewhere, whether it's California, here in Chicago, anywhere, you get stuck in traffic behind someone, and it's almost always a Prius because a lot of Prius drivers, sometimes they're driving slow intentionally to get to maximize fuel economy. Other times they're driving slow because the car just doesn't have the guts. So this new one you're saying is definitely um, quicker and has a little more pickup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's you know it's not going to have the same degree of acceleration and thrust going forward as like a GR Corolla or a Super does, but um, there is a lot more power this time around. I believe total combined output is about 196 horsepower for the all-wheel drive model. So, I mean, that's that's a huge, huge, huge increase. And I think for front-wheel drive, it's like still 190. Yeah, all-wheel drive is 196 horsepower. Front-wheel drive is 194. And you're talking a 70 horsepower difference. Mm-hmm. And torque is up almost like 16% too. So um, it's a lot quicker. And I think 0 to 60, I think they were, I think Toyota was saying that the times dropped into like, almost the, the the seven second range, high six second range, which, you know, that's not lightning quick by any means. But when you consider that the current Prius that's on sale right now took almost an eternity to get to 60 miles, I mean, that's a humongous difference. Um, so not only is there a lot more power, there's a lot more torque, the delivery of the power itself is better. The car itself feels a lot smoother to drive. Um the uh, kind of a common gripe I had, and maybe you've had this too with various like Toyota hybrid systems is that when the hybrid powertrain engages and disengages between electric and gas, uh, that transition is like kind of rough. Like it just, it, it's kind of jarring. It's a little loud. It's not as refined. I did not notice that in this new 2023 Prius, like it, everything felt seamless 
um, it was, it was, it wasn't like annoying at all. Like it, it just, it felt like a, it felt like a normal car to drive. I mean, and that's what hybrids have always been. They've always like tried to be like normal cars to drive, but this one really does a good job of just delivering on great driving dynamics this time around. And, and fuel economy is not sacrificed either. This new one gets 57 miles per gallon combined for the front wheel drive, which is, I mean, that's, that's wildly impressive. I was actually going to ask you about torque. Um, so it's good to hear that it's because torque matters more for acceleration at the end of the day than horsepower. So that's good. Mm-hmm. To, is there anything else about the car outside of uh, driving dynamics that really kind of stand out? And you know, just before you answer that, I'll kind of give you my take on it. I um, I saw the car live in LA at the unveiling uh, three or four weeks about a month ago, I guess now. And so I, I saw what it looks like, and I, I really thought it looked much better up close. Is there anything else about the car, whether it's the way it looks or infotainment, something else that, you know, you just, you have to drive it to really experience that kind of stands out compared to the previous generation? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the, I mean, the, the overarching reaction that I think a lot of people have had is just how striking it looks. Uh, when I was in Del Mar, I was able to actually chat with one of the lead engineers of this Prius, and he was saying that the rake of the windshield, I think, is either the same as or different, or maybe it's the same or like close to what you see on the uh, Lamborghini Huracan, which is kind of funny to think that they both had that super polarizing like roof line, but it's, it's a gorgeous car. And once you see it up close in person, um, there's like a, a nice blue that they offer too, that makes it look really, really a little bit more premium and upscale. Uh, the only, I think the only downside about the new Prius is, is the, the shape itself, even though it's got this really dramatic, sporty looking roof line i did find that being six foot two and tim you're pretty tall too so you might you might realize this too once you get behind the wheel of it but headroom is a little bit tight when you're sitting in that front seat if you're a taller driver once you get your seat adjusted it's okay but uh those a pillars because they are so swept back now i do feel like visibility is not as great on the new prius compared to the old one because the old one had you know more of that like upright boxy front glass area so that was like kind of really my only down down moment with that car was just i wish visibility out the front were better um the new prius like some of the other new toyota models in the lineup gets the new infotainment system and have you had a chance to try the new toyota infotainment uh just in the tundra Okay. So yeah, it's the same, pretty much the same exact setup. Um, I'm blanking off the top of my head how big that screen is in the the center console, but um, you do get that brand new Toyota infotainment, which if you have sampled a Toyota prior to 2022, that's got the older system. This new, this new system is just fantastic. The team at Toyota Connected did a great job designing it. It's quicker. It's much more modern. uh, It's easier to use. and I think, oh, you know what? Now it's coming back. It's a, I think it's a 12 or 12.3 inch center touch screen. Um, and they did it horizontal this time. 12.3. Yeah, yeah. Standard is eight inches, I believe. But the touch screen itself is horizontal now on the dashboard. So you don't have that like giant kind of tablet shaped one that's like vertical in the current Prius, which I don't know. I mean, it was cool, but you lost a lot of like ergonomics when it came to some of the physical switch gear and stuff. Uh, so. The new cabin itself, too, is really modern looking. Uh, it's it's definitely comfortable. They The fifth gen Prius still carries over that fourth gen platform, though it's been like heavily updated. So even though its roots down below are pretty much pretty much the same, like it does handle a lot better, too. It does ride a lot better, too. It's not as like bumpy and loud. Uh, we had a few roads that we could drive on in California that were like a little bit curvy and it was... I don't know. I was actually kind of having fun driving it. It's 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 really a much more responsive and enjoyable car to drive than the current one, and I think that's going to appeal to a lot of people. Excellent. And you said there's not much of a sacrifice in fuel economy. No, 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 not at all. In fact, fuel economy is up across the board. Um, the front wheel drive one on the base LE gets 57 miles per gallon. Then once you go to uh, all wheel drive, and the all wheel drive system too is more capable this time around. There's like more power in that rear electric motor. Um, so that'll be, that'll be pretty great in the snow area where we're at, but yeah, all wheel drive models. I think the lowest the fuel economy goes is down to like 49. Um, 
And I think what's I think what's so important about the Prius right now is that, you know, even though the industry itself is, you know, we're all moving towards electrification. A lot of car companies are, you know, setting these really uh, intense targets to have all their lineup electrified or XYZ percentage of sales of only EVs. I think what the Prius is really making a standpoint in is the fact that you can get a vehicle under $30,000 that's going to get 57 miles per gallon. And it's still an affordable, accessible way for consumers to go green. Because the reality of the fact is that while EVs are great, not everybody is set up for one yet. Not everybody has the ability to own one or buy one because they're expensive or they don't have a place to plug it in. And Toyota is definitely doing the right thing by staying committed to the Prius as it gives people that other option to go green. And I don't think we should be ignoring traditional hybrids if we want to lower our carbon footprint altogether. I tend to agree. Um, there is a plug-in version as well. Did you get a chance to drive it? Yeah, so the Prius Prime, that's their plug-in hybrid version, um, that was not at the launch. They are going to be uh, doing the first drives for that this spring. So... The regular Prius, the one that we're talking about now with the conventional hybrid, that actually is supposed to go on sale in January, you know, depending on the chip shortage and the supply chain fiasco. But we can look for the current, the, the new Prius to go on sale in January, and then the plug-in hybrid one's going to be coming later in the spring. And that one's supposed to be uh, pretty upgraded, too. I don't know all the specs yet. I know that they don't, I don't think they've shared a lot of the specs yet, but uh, I can expect that we'll probably see a lot more miles of range like from each charge in that plug-in hybrid version. Excellent. And, you know, the Prius is kind of in a unique situation or a unique spot in the market because it's been such a well-known nameplate over the past few years. Can you kind of talk about who Toyota really thinks the the competitive set is and who they're sort of aiming the Prius at? Yeah, so the Prius, I mean, like when the Prius launched, it, you know, it's crazy to think it's been on sale since I think like 97 or 98 or something like that. And sales... Since I was in high school at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, sales of the Prius for quite a while were very, very high. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, they've dropped. Um, you know, there have been more desirable, attainable hybrids in more popular segments. You know, Toyota has a RAV4 hybrid and a Sienna that's hybrid standard and a Corolla hybrid. So the Prius kind of faced a challenge with its fourth generation model and probably even the third generation too, where, you know, people that were in the market for a hybrid, you weren't really given just the choice of a Prius or like an old Honda Insight anymore. You had all these other options available and more desirable body styles. You know, we we know that consumers are really hungry for crossovers and there's a bunch of hybrids out there now that are uh, crossovers and you've got mild hybrids now and like pickup trucks and stuff and full-size SUVs. Um, so Toyota's hoping to sell, I think they're forecasting like, 25,000, if I remember correctly, 25 or 30,000 Prius sales uh, in its first year on sale, which I think that's kind of a conservative uh, goal, to tell you the truth. I think that with its really attractive price point below 30 grand, that just jaw-dropping styling, I mean, everybody I've talked to that has seen the Prius, whether it be online or like in a magazine or seen video of it, the first thing they always say is like, oh my God, it looks just like a Tesla. It looks just like a Tesla. Um, and that's great. Like, you know, people are excited about this. I think that you're going to start getting a lot more younger buyers that want something that does look so striking and sharp and hip that's not going to break the bank if they want to go green. So I feel like you're going to definitely see People that in the past were, you know, wanting a full hybrid like the Prius, but they just were a little bit too shy about getting something that looked kind of dorky or nerdy. Uh, and now you can go out and buy one that looks just gorgeous, in my opinion. And you definitely won't be afraid to, you know, be seen in public in it. That's uh, both high praise and damning the faint praise of the previous generation car. So that's uh... a... <laughs> That'll wrap up our first segment, uh, talking Toyota Prius. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk about the Kia EV6 GT. And 
we're back on the T-Tech Podcast. My name is Tim Healy. I am the managing editor of truthaboutcars.com. And we are here with industry analyst from Auto Pacific, Robbie DeGraff. Robbie spent the first segment of this uh, segment, or excuse me, the first segment of this podcast talking about the new Toyota Prius. And we're going to actually shift gears, pun not really intended, slightly to another EV that I had a chance to drive a week ago. So Robbie had a chance to drive the Prius. I have not driven the Prius yet. I had the chance to drive the week after that, the Kia EV6 GT. Now, the Prius is a hybrid, obviously, hybrid and plug-in. The EV6 is, is pure battery electric, so they're not exactly the same powertrain, and they're not they're not competing cars either. Just let's be clear about that. But, um, you know, I had a chance to drive the EV6 GT, and the review was up on TTAC. It went live on Monday. So I was in Vegas last week driving it, and uh, – I got to say, it's it's a very weird car in that I don't know what the market is for a $60,000 hatchback, four-door, performance electric vehicle. Um, you know, we just saw Kia killed the Stinger, which is a traditional internal combustion engine, four-door sports sedan slash coupe. I think it's actually a hatchback, technically. So we just saw, and that, was, that car was priced between forty-five dollars and $60,000, depending on how you optioned it. So Kia just killed their own. Uh, mid-sized, mid-luxury sports car to come out with another one. There is a bit of a difference, though, in that Kia has a much more inexpensive EV6 version. A couple of versions. They have the wind trim, which is sort of the basic trim, and then they have the GT line, which is sort of higher performance without being dedicated to performance. And I've driven the GT line and found the GT line to be quite engaging to drive, but it doesn't do what the EV6 GT does. And the GT does a few things that... Uh, all car enthusiasts probably know, and almost all automotive journalists know by now, that electric vehicles, pure electric vehicles, have almost – torque is available almost instantly from from stop. You just left off the brake and you floor it and you have instant torque. Even, even, the, even the EVs that are less powerful tend to have that ability. So having – I believe it was – I forget the number of top of my head. I can look it up in just a minute here, but it was 576 horsepower in the GT and a commiserate um, amount of torque. And every stoplight we pulled away from was just, we were giggling. My drive partner and I were giggling because it was just so much, so much torque and so much power. And almost to the point where I kept thinking to myself, like as soon as the cops realize how fast these cars are, they're going to have a field day. Um, so that's the party trick right there with the GT the EV6 GT is, is the acceleration that it provides. And it also handled fairly well. We had a chance to take it to uh, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway road course, and we also drove it on some curvy back roads in the desert. Now, the most of the curvy roads in the desert were relatively gentle in terms of cornering. We didn't have to really stress too much in terms of, you know, uh, they weren't not a lot of blind hairpins, mostly general corners. But it, the car, especially in what they call GT drive mode, Handled really, really well. And just to circle back for a second, the torque on that is 545 pound-feet. So there's nothing to sneeze at. So we, you know, myself, my drive partner, and I, and the other journalists on the trip, we all sort of seemed to really enjoy what the car could do. And the the track time was informative because we realized that this car could actually handle fairly well, too. And if you messed up a corner, and I did mess up a few. I hadn't, I hadn't been in that track in like four years, so I didn't really remember the line. Actually, 2019, so about three years. I, I, I really didn't remember the line around that track at all. But I found that with the acceleration, uh, you could, if you mess up in a corner, you could make up time in the straightaway pretty quickly. And I also found that the brakes were nice and stout. No brake fade, although in a lead follow situation with only about three laps at speed, I wouldn't think there'd be brake fade anyway, especially with the cars sitting for a minute or two in between. But, you know, you definitely want and I've I've definitely experienced this. You definitely want the car to, when you hit the brakes, you want the car to, uh, you know, you want the, the, the brakes to kind of snap you forward. You want them to kind of bite right away. You don't want them to feel soft mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, so the car was really good in the track. And then Kia also gave us a chance to drag strip, drag race the cars uh, against the clock. So we were, we were actually timed and I was running times. I, I looked at my four runs the first two runs, I kind of messed up. The first one, I didn't have full throttle for the first 20 feet, and I realized I didn't have it all the way down, so I you know, kind of pinned it from there. And the second run, I accidentally had the passenger window down so that the wind buffeting probably slowed me a few, a few tenths of a second. 
But all four runs I ran in the eleven five range, eleven five whatever, Jeez. and then and then uh, every single time I think I was over one hundred eighteen miles per hour, and that was pretty about uh, par for our group. I was hearing anecdotally that a few journalists and a few Kia employees maybe hit one hundred nineteen, got into the eleven point four range. So if your reaction time was really good. You got if the traction control got everything just right because with this car you just you basically just slam the throttle pedal and keep the wheel straight let the let the uh, computer sort out the electronics. If people are getting it just right, they could really turn in a great great time, which is which is pretty amazing for a heavy electric, for a heavy EV. That's basically a four door hatchback. Now I will say one thing is that Kia told us. If any car went below 70% on battery, we should pull aside and have it charged. The reason being uh, performance would, would drop at that point. So the car would still be able to handle it, but your time just wouldn't be as fast. So, And the, to be clear, four runs in the same car did take me 5% of battery. I hopped in a car with 75%, and after my fourth run, it was at 70 I was going to switch cars and do another run, but we were, but we had to close at three o'clock, and it was getting close to three o'clock. And some other journalists wanted their turn, so I I, uh, I pulled out instead of doing a fifth or sixth run. But yeah, so if you're if you do plan on dragging your EV6 GT uh, on, a, on a test and tune night, keep in mind that your times are going to drop after after the battery goes below seventy percent. So overall, and Robbie will talk about the GT line. You can hit me with some questions in just a minute. I'll be done monologuing in just a second here, but overall, I think the EV6 GT was or is it's really a great performance car for what it is for for a tall for a tall four door hatchback. Um, it's 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 very engaging to drive. Obviously, the acceleration is great. It handles fairly well, brakes fairly well. The only and it's also quiet. It, it, obviously, electric motors don't make a lot of noise, but then there's also tire, wind, and road noise where. Um, are pretty well muted. The only thing I'm really struggling with, and I mentioned this at the end of my review, is I don't know who the buyer for this car is because I drove the GT line here at home a couple of weeks earlier. The GT line also handles really well. It's also quite quick, not as quick. It has less power, but it's also and it is also cheaper. Not a lot cheaper. I think it was fifty-seven thousand dollars base price for an all-wheel drive GT line, something like that. So it's only about four thousand cheaper than a than a GT. But that four thousand is a big difference for some people, and I just I'm not quite sure who's buying the GT, especially since the range drops down to 206 maximum, where I think the GT line is like 250 something like that. I think 310 uh, if you go to front wheel drive. So you know I, I'm a little curious who the Kia EV6 buyer is, and Robbie, I wanted to get your thoughts, what you guys are hearing on the analyst side about this new vehicle. Yeah, I mean it's it's really crazy to think that the you know, the car company that for many years was known for in the early 90s making subpar quality cars is now making a absolute rocket ship of a EV sports car. I remember when I first saw the press release come out about this new EV6 GT version and I saw that it had 576 horsepower, I literally said out loud, holy shit. That, I mean, that's just that is an insane amount of power. To, to for an EV to put out with, I mean, especially one wearing the Kia badge of all places. But yeah, I'm I'm also curious to see who is going to be lining up to buy this car. I feel like right now a lot of the benefits of going electric, uh, especially the benefits that you know we as analysts and journalists are talking about, as well as other folks in the media and just the common the common like perception of EVs is you know. You're lowering your carbon footprint. You're not having to go to the gas station. You're not having to put gas in your car. You know, you're not creating emissions. But I feel like there's perhaps still this un, unknown, you know, perk of having an electric car that you just have absolutely ludicrous acceleration and performance. Um, and, you know, is there a market yet for performance focused EVs. I mean, you know, we've got the BMW's got their i4 M50, you got the Taycan, uh, a couple of hot versions of that. Hyundai'll have a Kona, I'm not a Kona, a um an Ionic N on the way at some point. So, 
I don't know quite yet if there is a an exact market for performance EVs yet. Like, I don't think, you know, I'm thinking if you have a, like a, a, a Golf GTI or a Golf R buyer who's wanting to go electric and they want something that's still you know, resembles a hatchback in terms of how it drives. Because I agree with you, even though, even though Kia technically, I think, builds the EV6 as a crossover, to me, it totally looks and drives like a hatchback. And I, I think that's a great thing. But, you know, where are these people going to be coming from to get to this, this top GT model? I just, I don't know yet. It's going to be really interesting to see. Did you, did you hear if the EV6 GT, is this a limited production like, I don't are they going to make? Is there a cap on it? Or I don't believe so. I believe they're going to make as many as they can sell. Um, just to kind of touch on what you said about competition. So there's two things. There's two approaches Kia took to it, took towards it in our in the, in the media briefing. And for those who don't know, when you go on these media launches, the automaker always has a message they're trying to trying to kind of put out there, and, and some journalists just sort of are stenographers and don't really challenge it and others do. I try and I try and look at it honestly and sometimes what the automaker is saying is true and sometimes I challenge what they're saying. In this case I challenge it a little bit. So Kia what Kia was trying to do is is say, oh well, you know, we're we're trying to appeal to the person who's going to buy a Lamborghini or Ferrari because we can for a third of the price or half the price or for sixty thousand dollars when one of those cars might cost one hundred and fifty, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, we have a faster zero to sixty time. And I just kind of thought yeah, but the new the guy the the NFL player who just signed a big deal, he's gonna want the Lamborghini because it, it makes him look cool on Sunset Boulevard in LA, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not. I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna buy the Kia over a Lamborghini as a value proposition. So I think mm-hmm. that marketing was a little that marketing's a little bit. It makes a nice message, like hey, we you can do a really fast car without spending a lot of money on it, but you can also get a Corvette for not that much more than a Kia. You can get a Corvette for under a hundred thousand dollars and it's just as mm-hmm. fast. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think that message is a little silly, What I think is more accurate from Kia is that they kind of, they sort of positioned the model, the Tesla model Y and the Ford Mustang Mach-E GT as, as competitor cars. Those cars are a little bit less powerful and cost a little bit more money. I think that's where Kia really has, a case to make for the EV6 GT. And I think that's where the, that's, that's the buyer right now that might be looking at the EV6 GT is, is your Mach-E GT customer, your mm-hmm. Model Y customer. And, you know, they might say, well, okay, this is a little bit faster and costs a little bit less. Now mm-hmm. that might not matter for everybody. Looks matter, price matters, range matters, Dealer experience matters, brand loyalty matters, warranties. So there's all sorts of factors that go into buying a car. And some people might buy the Ford or the Tesla because they don't trust Kia dealers. Some people might buy the Tesla because Tesla, even with all of Elon Musk's controversies, Tesla still to some people is a status symbol. So, (laughs) you know, that's to answer your question, it's a roundabout way of answering your question, very roundabout, but that's kind of who I think the buyer is for the for the EV6 GT and for performance EVs in general. It's that person who's sort of in that middle. They don't want a Corvette for whatever reason. Maybe the Corvette costs a little too much. Maybe they don't want to pay the penalty at the pump. They don't want a Cadillac Blackwing for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they want they want an EV. They want something that's fast and fun to drive. And they can afford they're, – they're wealthy enough they can afford something that's in that price range, but they're not quite going to go to the six figures or or even like 85000 under seventy thousand dollars is what they're looking for. I don't know. I don't know how many how many of the people out there who fit in that category. That's what I don't really know. And and you guys on your on the analyst side would probably have better data on that than I would. But what I'm that's what I'm curious about is you know how many folks are in that price range, in that segment, shopping those cars. That's what I'd be curious about. But that be all that being said, I do think there is. There is a person out there who is looking at Mach-E GTs and only the GT. They're not looking at the Mach-E that's, that's, that's lesser. You know what I mean? And there are the Model Y buyers who are looking at the high-end Model Y, the, the most the, the high-performance version. And there are those Kia EV, EV6 buyers and eventually Hyundai Ioniq 5, because I think there's going to be a high, uh, Ioniq 5N. So I think there are some buyers who are looking at those cars and saying, you know what, I have a little more money to spend. I want a little more performance. But like I said, the question is, who are those buyers and how many of them are there? Yeah. And I think one thing to, to 
consider too when you look at both the Hyundai and the Kia brands is that you know what are their what are their intentions right now and what are their intentions in the coming years you know Kia seems to be you know kind of taking on more of like a rugged you know persona with some of its vehicles you know they've got the new X-Pro and the X-Pro line um you know when you think of Kia do you think sporty or do you think you know rugged like a telluride or like a sportage like x pro you know mm-hmm. whereas hyundai you know to me for for many more years than kia hyundai has been more of like the the performance focused brand you know you've got the the veloster n and the 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 kona n and the elantra n i mean like to me of like both brands even though like they share so many you know bits and pieces across both both areas but like to me like hyundai is the performance brand so does kia actually need an ev6 gt like that's i think that's the big question and like obviously we're going to have the ionic 5n uh coming out pretty soon but i think what'll be interesting to to compare is i you know both of these cars share that egmp platform which is a pretty incredible platform because it can be used just in all sorts of different manners but Having driven both the Ionic 5 and the the, uh, EV6 GT line, the EV6 felt way more sporty than the Ionic did. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Like, I was very surprised because, like, like I was just saying a couple minutes ago, like, Hyundai to me is – that is the performance brand of the two. They're the ones that are putting their heart and soul into coming out with these great performance cars, regardless of powertrain. But when I got behind the wheel of the EV6 GT line – which was, I mean, that was a, a crazy quick car to begin with. And that's, you know, down a couple hundred horsepower compared to the GT. The EV6 GT line felt like an actual, like, sporty hatchback. Whereas, like, the Ionic 5, to me, was more like, oh, this is kind of like a retro-looking, cozy, you know, floaty kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah more I, luxury I, than sport. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what their intentions are going to be going forward. I mean, I, I'm not... I'm not saying I'm opposed to the EV6 GT, but I don't know who's going to buy it and why they're necessarily doing it. And I did, I did just do a quick, uh, quick little research, and I did see that they are actually making the G- EV6 GT in limited quantities. I don't know if there's a cap, but it looks like they're only going to bring two to 2,500 uh, units a year over to the states. So, so I, I would imagine, you know, maybe they're doing this. I'm not sure they mentioned that in the press brief. I may have just missed it. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, it's okay. It's, it's not a problem. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm curious to see how well the 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 car is going to be received because Kia, as we know, has tried the the performance sporty thing. You know, they had the Stinger for many years, and the Stinger was a that was a a, a kick ass car. And I'm so bummed they're getting rid of it. But yeah, me too. They but they didn't sell that many of them. They no. I mean they hardly sold them. That's as, as, difficult to sell them. Yeah, that segment's very difficult to sell. Larger larger sedans to begin with, well, hatchback, liftback. Larger sedans are tricky enough in itself. That's why we've seen the segment decline over many years. But, you know, make something that's large and sporty, and it's even trickier to sell. And it's, you know, it, it's really a shame that car didn't succeed as well as that they had hoped to. Because, I mean, the, the Stinger was awesome. I mean, that was a, a phenomenal car. Yes, it was. And with that, speaking of phenomenal cars, we will segue into our final segment for today, in which we talk about two or three cars that we really enjoyed this year and two or three cars that were kind of duds. Uh, We will wrap 2022 that way. We'll be back in just a moment on the Truth About Cars podcast. And we're back on the Truth About Cars podcast. My name is Tim Healy, the managing editor of the Truth About Cars, talking with Robbie DeGraff, industry and industry analyst, excuse me, from Auto Pacific. And he and I are going to talk about, we're going to close out this podcast with a couple of cars that really sort of intrigued us this year, impressed us, however you want to put it. And then a couple other cars that maybe were duds. I will start. I actually had three in mind, but one of them is kind of cheating because I, I actually first drove it. <laughs> and in 2021, that's the Ford Maverick. Now, I drove the truck on the launch in 2021, drove it again uh, t- to loaners earlier this year and really enjoyed it. I'm going to kind of skip that one because 
I feel like it's cheating a little bit. So for me, the one that really stuck out uh, in a positive way, the kind of, it's both surprised me and didn't is the Ford F-150 Lightning. And the reason why I say it didn't surprise me is that the truck they gave us to drive for the week-long loan was the full Zoot $90,000. So, of course, you're going to get the best of the best on the truck. Um, but it still it still impressed me, even though I, uh, even though I probably shouldn't have that much. Because I, I, when you think about it, when you really think about it, just taking an F-150 platform and making an electric vehicle, it's really not that surprising that that that, that, that they did a nice job. It's it's you know you're changing the powertrain around and you have to deal with. And I didn't get a chance to do certain truck things. I didn't get a chance to tow with it, for example. But you know you're you're already starting from a pretty good from a pretty good point. You already have a good platform to work with. So electrifying the vehicle isn't going to make it. it, it I guess what I'm trying to say is it shouldn't make it that much harder to. Um, to make it a good vehicle. So the powertrain, you know, but what really impressed me is it's not just that they took the Ford truck and made a, a good EV out of it. It's that the, some of the byproducts of that worked out pretty well. Like I really like the front, the front, uh, the front trunk, or as they call it a frunk. Cause with a truck and I hadn't really thought about this till I had it. When you have a pickup truck as a week long owner, and you go go get groceries. You have two options typically: you put the groceries in the bed, leave them exposed to the elements, unless there's a tonneau cover, or you put the groceries in the back seat, which can be kind of messy. You know, mm-hmm. not not the most organized way of doing things. I got groceries in the Lightning and could put it in the front trunk, and it's just like, you know, that's just so awesome. There's no engine here. I have this extra space. I can use it as a trunk, which on a sedan would be completely normal but on a f-150 it's like it's like heck you know this is pretty cool um also and this doesn't really pertain to the ev powertrain directly but this was my first time driving a ford with blue cruise and i really found blue cruise to be impressive a couple times it started drifting towards the other lane there was a semi-truck there i thought okay i should probably take over and maybe it's just me not fully trusting the system but you know in general the hands-free system worked really well and it was pretty clear when when it was going to disengage and require me to, to take over again. And it was pretty clear that it, it would weave, like I said, it would weave a little bit in between in between the lane lines here and there. But for the most part, it worked really well. But just overall, without going, we don't have time to get into all the specifics of the of what Ford did with the F one fifty Lightning and all the different things it can do. Like you can you can use the truck to power tools and accessories and all sort of stuff. It just Ford did a nice job packaging it, and like like I said, it was coming from a good starting point. They didn't have to do a lot to make it work really well, but they could have just slapped an EV battery pack, an EV electric motor in there, and called it a day. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They went above and beyond. So I, I really, I really thought the F one fifty Lightning was impressive. Although again, at ninety thousand dollars, it ought to be. Um, and the other vehicle that really impressed me this year. And this plays my biases a little bit. I am a fan of manual transmission, <laughs> compact sports sedans. But the Honda Civic Si, I I think Honda did an excellent job keeping that car, keeping the flame of that car going. I was really bit, I was a little concerned when they brought out the new generation Civic, which I think the new generation Civic looks better inside and out than the previous car. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times automakers will half-ass the performance versions. They'll redo. It'll, a car we do for its redesign, they'll redesign it, and they'll kind of, eh, well, we didn't sell a ton of performance versions, so we're not going to put a ton of effort into it. But Honda did a nice job keeping the car just as fun to drive as the last generation, uh, while also making it a little bit better around town. It rides a little nicer around town. And it was a little bit down on power, but you don't really notice that. You know, you look at the spec sheet, and you're like, oh, it makes a little bit less power. Uh, but no, it, it actually really was... Uh, a blast to drive. So even though I lost a little bit of power, it didn't feel any slower. And then I'll close out before I toss it to you, Robbie, with the one car that disappointed me this year. It was in the same, it's actually in the same category as the Civic SI. It's a direct competitor. And that's the Subaru WRX. I really, really, really love the previous generation, the, the, the WRX that came before this one. Big fan, always thought it was kind of, it was kind of an ugly car, but ugly in a fun way, right? And it was always kind of loud and obnoxious, but also, but always in a fun way. Well, this one kept that, but got worse in some ways. I think the black cladding along the fenders is 
it's a very weird design decision that I can't defend. I, I don't like the idea that to get a manual, you have to kind of play around with the trim levels a little bit. And I believe you have to spend more to get the premium trim. And then uh, the car remains fun to drive. And I'll, I'll give it that it's, it's as fun to drive as it ever was, but the, the ride is even stiffer than it was before. And it's just, and maybe I'm just getting older, but I just could not, it was just difficult on rough Chicago roads to deal with that ride. And it also, it, it, it's kind of a higher revving engine, which is good in some ways because you're always in the power band when you want to, when you want to pass and you don't have to downshift necessarily. But I also feel like that would be really killer on fuel economy over time. So I feel like Subaru still has a fun to drive all wheel drive car, but Honda's got more refinement in the Civic SI for less money. And then you also have the Volkswagen Jetta GLI, which offers more refinement for the same amount of money. And now Acura is on the scene for the same amount of money. And I'm just having a hard time seeing how Subaru didn't take a step backwards there. That's so interesting. I I also had the F-150 Lightning on my list of favorites from this past year. I mean, they just nailed it with with that whole truck. And I think it makes, uh, it fixed a lot of what I don't like about regular full-size gas trucks and just made it a lot better from like an efficiency standpoint. I thought the ride was way more comfortable than a mm-hmm. gas powered F-150. I, I mean, did ride better. A, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's an excellent truck. I am not a pickup truck person, but if I were to go get one, I, if I had a place to plug it in, I'd probably go pick up an F-150 lightning. Um, one vehicle that I absolutely adored was the new Z from Nissan. Oh, um, yeah. That was one that actually slipped my mind. The Z was done really well, too. Yeah, that was honestly probably my favorite thing I drove uh, this past year altogether. Um, I I adored the car from the second I first saw, you know, teasers of it. And then to finally spend a week with one, I had a... Uh, Z, I think it was the performance was the trim, like the middle level trim. So it had a little bit nicer, like rubber on it. And um, it was this gorgeous blue that was in the fleet. Um, That was probably my favorite car to drive. I just, I, I love the way it looked. I just could not stop driving it. That new twin turbo six cylinder is just a blast. Um, My only real gripe that I had with it was that, I wish steering weren't as artificial. I did feel like the steering was a little bit too loose for my 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 taste. I kind of like the old like mechanical feel of the the three seventy Z that went out of production. But uh, you know, apart from the steering not being exactly how I wanted it, I would I don't know. I would go rob a bank to go get a new Z right now if I could find one that wasn't marked up by a dealer. Um, as far I feel as like- mm-hmm. Oh, before you before you move to the next car, I just, just going to say I feel like we say that a lot about almost every car now is that steering is too artificial. Yeah, I, I I've become such a stickler for that over the past couple of years, and I think what's been interesting with with Nissan is that some some steering in their products I'm okay with. Like for example, in the new Frontier, I actually really like the heavier steering a lot, whereas other people don't. But in the Z, I think it's just a little bit too light. Uh, but that still wouldn't stop me from going and getting one. I I love that car. That was also probably my favorite car to photograph this year was that Nissan Z. It's mm-hmm. just, a, just a stunning car. And uh, super quick story, I was driving that car and parked it outside of a grocery store in my neighborhood. And as I was getting back in the car, a bunch of uh, middle schoolers ran up to me and they handed me a Hot Wheels of that exact Nissan Z. It was yellow, but like, they gave me a Hot Wheels, and I guess there's a thing that people do where they find Hot Wheels or Matchbox cars of the, the full-size car, and then oh, they go and put it on people's windshield. Uh, so I just have, like, it's the only car in all the years I've been in the auto industry where I've had, you know, people swarming to me to go to, to ask it, ask questions about it, want to sit in it, want me to start it up, want me to rev it up. I mean, there's so much fanfare behind the Z. It's it's incredible, and I, I love that car. I think one vehicle that was i was i'm gonna say it was a good vehicle but it was really kind of a letdown from just a performance standard was the uh xc40 recharge from volvo so that is if you're if you're not familiar with it that is the all-electric version of volvo's uh 
pint-sized XC40 crossover. So it's got a, I believe, a 77 kilowatt hour battery that on a good day and ideal temperatures will give you range of, I don't know, anywhere from 220 to 230 miles of range. Um, I had the XC40 recharge back in November and we ended up getting some pretty unfortunate cold weather that came into uh, Milwaukee and everything I loved about that vehicle, like the steering that I felt was super precise. I love the styling. I really like the, the uh, Google based infotainment system. It's a, it's an excellent, excellent little electric crossover, but the severity of how bad the range was affected and the battery life was affected as soon as the temperatures plummeted was, was dramatic. Um, obviously EVs and, you know, ice vehicles too, they lose their efficiency when they're in the colder weather. I've driven plenty of EVs in the cold where you've seen range drop and battery percentages drop, but the XC40 recharge was just pulverized by the cold. Uh, I remember leaving it out at the airport for three days around the time of the Chicago auto show. And by the time I got back to the vehicle and started it, um, I had lost, I think upwards of 35% of the battery life just from having it wow. sit in the cold for three days. And then a couple days later I was, uh, running some errands. We were getting ready to go to a Friendsgiving and I left the XC40 unplug. I mean, just for full transparency's sake, I do not have a place to plug in an electric vehicle. So my usage case for EVs, uh, just doesn't really work out, but regardless, I left the vehicle sitting outside in the cold. It got pretty windy and wind chills came and I lost, I think 15 or so miles of range in a little under three hours, just by having it parked outside of my apartment. Um, so a great vehicle, just totally, totally marred by the fact that it is not well equipped to handle the cold. And that is, I think, a very overlooked and underrated um, roadblock as we, you know, move more and more towards EVs. And hopefully Bolo figures out a way to address that because I was not the only journalist or analyst that had a similar problem with that car. Yeah, I don't think I drove the XC, but I drove the C40 recharge. I felt performance-wise, it was a bit of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of touching our range, the one thing about the Lightning I didn't like was the range was, and I had it in the summer, so weather wasn't much of a factor, but the range could have been a little bit better in the Lightning. Um, as could charge time. Now, you know, you get on a level two, it's not so bad, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely range is still an issue. And it's one of those things where, Certain EVs, and we'll close with this, certain EVs are actually getting to the point where range is not much of an issue. I had a Mercedes-Benz EQS over the summer, mm-hmm. 320 miles of range, which was enough for me to go from my house to my parents' house, which is about 50 miles to 55 miles in one direction, depending on which route you take. Uh, my dad and I went to your neck of the woods to East Troy, Wisconsin for a concert. Mm-hmm. So Alpine Valley ski area. And then we we drove back and then I drove back to my house the next day. And I don't believe I needed to charge until I got back to my house. It was a little bit under 100 miles when I got back. And the fleet needs enough miles to get back to their place. So I definitely had to charge, you know, the next day. But over that weekend, I was able to go from full charge without worrying about it, without having to charge uh, until I got home. And I would have gone a little further if the fleet didn't need enough miles to get back to their to their base. I would have gone another day or two if I owned the car before charging. So, you know, the, you have that end of the spectrum where you've got 300 miles. Or it's better than a, than a Ford Mustang gas car. Mm-hmm. 300 miles of range uh, from an from a EV. And then you've got other vehicles where it's still 200, 210, 250. I found that under 250 is where I start getting a little queasy and range range anxiety. Over 250, mm-hmm. especially over 300, I feel like it's you know not as big a deal. Although it's still harder to charge cars these days. But it's 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 kind of a bummer to hear you say that about the XC40 because I've I've had some high hopes for Volvo to kind of lead the charge into the EV space because you have a lot of people, and this is me talking my butt a little bit, but you've got a lot of people with Volvos who tend to be how do I say this kind of higher end shoppers mm-hmm. a little bit early adopters of technology. Does that mm-hmm. Sound, mm-hmm. sound fair? 
Yeah, that's. I think that's very much an yeah. accurate statement. So you, I want to see you. Know, you want to see Volvos be kind of lead that charge into the EVs, into the luxury sporty EV realm, and it's a bit of a bummer to hear the XC40 was a letdown. Yeah, the. I mean, I'll just. I just want to add a comment to that. Like, it's the the whole idea with efficiency with EVs is it. It's kind of wild how much it varies. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even in the summertime, I had a couple EVs where you definitely could tell that they weren't as efficient just over the course of a week. Uh, one that I had that I was very impressed with was the BMW i4 M50. Um, that was probably my number two favorite car I drove last year. Um, I had that for a week, put a lot of miles on it, including a lot of highway miles and some pretty spirited driving every once in a while. And I was actually amazed at how efficient that electric drivetrain and that car was uh i feel like you know if you kept it in eco pro you used your regenerative braking i was genuinely shocked how many miles i could cover without needing to plug in um and that just goes to show and and what's crazy about that is that that is an ice car essentially modified for ev usage that's an ice platform that has had a giant battery pack put in it a couple electric motors you know and to me that was pretty pretty efficient so it's just really weird and and wild to see like just the the differences in efficiency between evs and i think volvo will get there at some point hopefully and you know i don't know if it's an issue of thermal management or um you know maybe there needs to be something to you know i don't know i'm not an engineer unfortunately but hopefully volvo gets that figured out because i i would agree i think a lot of their buyers are much more comfortable, like, you know, trying out this new technology. And, uh, I know like in Wisconsin, like Volvos are often considered like good winter cars. So, I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they fix that. Excellent. Uh, Robbie, I appreciate your time. We're going to let Absolutely. you go now and get along up, get about your day and happy holidays. Happy, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy new year. May you and your family have a good good holidays and a good new year. And um, thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. This is the last TTAC podcast of 2022. We'll be back in January with our thoughts on whatever else is happening in the automotive industry. <laughs> so, again, that's TTAC.com, thetruthaboutcars.com. And for Robbie's thoughts, uh, you can also go to Auto Pacific. I believe it's autopacific.com. So it's auto then Pacific like the ocean, autopacific.com to hit, to get all the newest industry analysis. Uh, so again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and saying goodbye and happy new year. This is Tim Healy from Truth About Cars podcast.